I'm Helen Farmer, this is Eye on Education, and we're turning our attentions to music, performance, drama, the power it has to build a sense of community, to boost confidence. Speaking to two educators, we had Miss Darren Gale speaking with us of Horizon International School and music teacher at RPS, Ranchers Primary School, Veronica Cruz. What power does music have on our children? And if yours is reluctant to step on stage, we were talking about embracing your child's personality traits, why shyness isn't something to be quote-unquote fixed with clinical psychologist Hibber from Sage Clinics. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. We are going to be speaking to educators after four o'clock, both a principal and a music teacher, um, talking about the power of performance. Talking children now and boosting confidence if getting on stage is something that they do want to do, but being respectful of their personality traits, of their interests, because personalities start shining through in our little ones at a very, very early age. Before we know it, we see a sense of humour, their cheekiness and even the fuses that might spark their temper, but we also start to see what they love. And so begins a long adventure into discovering what kind of grown-ups our little humans will turn into. But in a world that can sometimes squash any kind of individuality, how can we as parents empower our children to be true to themselves when sometimes they're told they should do otherwise? Hibba joining us now, clinical psychologist at SAGE. She's also a mum of two, which I think is really crucial because... I'm sure, you know, you can put your psychologist hat on for a lot of these conversations, Hibber, but, you know, I think that mum hat is equally as important. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well, really well. Um, This is a topic I'm really passionate about because I think we come into parenthood with all of these expectations about what Mm -hmm. our little people are going to be like. You know, are they going to be just like us, you know, a mini version? Or do we have these hopes that they're going to be, quote unquote, better than us, succeed where we have failed? And Mm -hmm. managing those expectations and trying to be accepting sounds simple, but it actually is way more complicated than that. So I wanted to ask a little bit of why it is so important for parents to embrace, accept their child's personality just as they are. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So to start with, it's important to realize that, you know, as you mentioned, we come into, I'm going to segue slightly away from your question, but then come back to it. But I think it's important for us to first, as parents, understand where our expectations are imposing certain um, restrictions on how we see our kids and what our kids, you know, are are doing or focusing on, et cetera, et cetera. Because we all come into parenthood with certain expectations, certain ideals of what our children are going to be like mm-hmm. and what we'd like them to do. And we sort of definitely, you know, if we like music, we'd love to see our child becoming a, a great musician one day or whatnot. Um, so, so understanding that our little ones come with their own personalities as well and they have interests and, you know, likes and dislikes is a great first step for us as parents to start this acceptance process. Why? Because they are who they are, right? So trying to change them does not always yield the result we want. It Mm. might actually force them to go further inwards and feel like their perspectives, their points of views are not valuable to us. And so being able to support them and accept them for who they are and what they like and what they don't like helps foster a sense of acceptance and then also helps our children to shine in areas that they excel in rather than having to conform to what we expect them to be and to sort of try to fit into those boxes that we have for them, but rather we adjust our boxes to accommodate where they are. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about my own daughters. So 
for example, I love reading and I was a proper Mm -hmm. little bookworm all the way through childhood. And my oldest one in particular just isn't that bothered, which I find find quite hard to get my head around. And if I'm being completely Mm -hmm. honest, I'm a little bit disappointed in, which sounds terrible because I'd kind of hope that that would be something we could bond through. But then when I think about it, when we talk about being adults, we talk a lot about, you know, celebrate your individuality, find your tribe. Mm -hmm. So why is it so different for children? And when I think about, you know, people I know, not every adult I know loves reading, for example. Mm -hmm. But it's it's kind of, it's it's trying to tune in and be, I guess, kind of self-aware about our our hopes and yeah leaning into mm-hmm. what she you know what she or he does love now one thing that I've heard from so many parents you know both friends and, and through the show is kind of quote-unquote helping their child with shyness it's something that seems mm-hmm. to worry it seems to really worry a lot of parents um, mm-hmm. and I wondered if you could perhaps speak to that because to my mind shyness isn't something that needs to be fixed per se but it Absolutely. can, but it can hold some children back from doing maybe what they want mm. to do. Um, can you? Would you mind just kind of expanding on that for a little bit, Hiba? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, so, so basically, like as parents, it's important for us to first start by understanding our child's shyness. But it's important to know that not all child children are shy in the same way. Right. So understanding what is behind that shyness makes it easier for us to know how to help. Mm-hmm. Some kids are might be anxious about speaking up because they might not know the response. They might have you know certain effects, expectations of themselves and want to make sure that if they speak up, they are 100 percent certain that what they're saying is the right answer. Other kids might just be, you know, um, less likely to engage. They don't they don't feel like it's something they find any interest in they would rather they are more you know engaged as listeners as active listeners as participants rather than you know wanting to speak up mm-hmm. others might not like to talk in front of others so trying to understand first and foremost that when we talk about shyness it's not one you know one mold one all-encompassing title there are different reasons why certain individuals feel shy in certain situations so first and foremost if we want to try to help we want to try to understand why you know, why that kid, what, what's behind that shyness, mm-hmm. right? Some kids are just slow to warm. They don't like being, they're not as comfortable in new situations, around new people. You know, others are content being observers and quiet. Another thing we can do as parents is to avoid labeling our children as shy. Yes. Because that's sort of... Thank you. It becomes a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. We're not going to go to that party, she's shy. Or when you get to exactly. a place, like, he's a bit shy. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Mm, exactly. Tricky. And the thing is that the voice, we are, you know, that... Um, we are basically that map that our children are going to use to navigate the world until they have their own map to help them navigate the world. Mm-hmm. And so the voices we use, the labels we use to talk to our children become their own internal voice eventually. So when we are labeling our children as shy, first we are creating a label, which I, isn't ideal in and of itself, because that inhibits children and adults from assuming a growth perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It just We assume that if I'm shy, then I'm perpetually shy. Yeah, quite right. I right. might be con- right. <sighs> so when we want, so when we avoid labels in general, when we sort of reference how certain individuals behave in a certain situation, rather than put an all-encompassing label on that child, we allow for more growth, more exploration, more, you know, more of um, again, more of that growth mindset, more of that openness and willingness to explore 
what does that look like? What am I in this situation versus this situation? Um, So, yeah. I think think one of the other big misconceptions about shy kids or quiet kids is that they're not confident. And sometimes they are actually incredibly confident and incredibly self-contained. It's just the way we, we... you know, we've been conditioned to think about what a confident kid looks like. Um, I've got questions for you, Hibber, coming in on the text line. Um, Hibber joining us from Sage Clinics, clinical psychologist, mum of two, as I said. Um, a message about um, a 14-year-old helping her daughter build some resilience and boost her confidence. Um, and a message about a four-year-old who has brief shyness with friends and family, then comes out of himself, but the problem is group classes. He can't stand them. Um, I'm trying not to show my own frustration. Um, should I give it a rest until he's until he gets a bit older we'll be coming to your messages and of course offering up some tips advice on embracing your child's personality and of course helping if you do feel they need a bit of assistance I'm a bit wary of that word resilience I think it's kind of lost a bit of meaning but we can unpack that after half past as well but going to the text line I've had a number of messages that I'm going to try and condense into one theme so we can help as many people as possible which is this how do I encourage my kids to try new experiences without being pushy Help, mm-hmm. us, help us. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so uh, just to reiterate, if someone just joined us, my first point, and I think that will come up over and over and over again, whenever we talk to parents about anything related to parenting, first, let's be mindful of our own biases, our own expectations, our own limitations. Helen, I think you mentioned that you really wanted your daughter to be a bookworm like you were, and she just isn't. It is what it is. So, right. But sometimes when we focus on wanting that child to be a certain thing, we tend to sometimes overlook what they are. And so one, being a bit more aware and attuned of our expectations and when it's about the child versus when it's us you know, pushing a certain expectation onto that situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because we also have a lot to learn from kids when we sit with them and we play with them and we engage with them rather than just sort of pushing that narrative constantly, which is amazing. Um, Another thing is to create a safe and nurturing environment and that we can do through, you know, a lot of socialization through play. Um, It might be easier for some kids to to have that slow facilitation into social interactions through play, through role plays, through games, through pretend play. It might be less intimidating for children to be able to explore those things within a within more of a play mm-hmm. structure rather than a, a real life structure. And sort of having smaller play dates with people that they feel more comfortable with, friends and family who they really connect with and who they love spending time with, helps them to foster that relaxed setting and allows them to connect with peers more. Mm -hmm. So maybe rather than expecting them initially to just socialize in a larger setting, having them build up to it in slow progressive steps. So maybe if if one of our kids is joining a football team, for example, maybe trying to um, take them to the pitch First, get to see the place, maybe connect with the coach, privately meet the coach, just help them to connect with others on a more intimate level Mm -hmm. so that we can progressively help them build that confidence that maybe they might 
you know, um, they might need at the beginning. I think. Um, um, mod- uh, sorry, mm. I was just about to say, what about modelling behaviour? Because we've we've talked a lot recently. I was going to say that about yeah. about social anxiety in in us as grown ups. You know, I think not many Absolutely. of us listening today would relish the idea of going to a class where we didn't know anybody in the room. That's a that's a big exactly. deal. Never mind if you're you know a tiny little person. So what about you know admitting maybe that we feel a bit nervous sometimes or talk about exactly. things that we've overcome. Exactly. So, so that's exactly it, right? Our, we are our children's, again, as I mentioned earlier, we are their map. We are their initial roadmap until they navigate, they, you know, develop their own maps. And so we want to model appropriate social skills. We want to teach and also practice social skills. So we want to talk about, you know, modeling certain situations where we go to a new place and like saying oh you know what there are lots of people here and now it's it it feels a bit uh, you know it feels a bit intimidating that's okay to say in front of a child right a lot of parents i think worry about saying being verbal and honest with our own quote unquote fears and insecurities but i think this is valuable because kids also learn from us how we deal with those situations mm-hmm. so again being verbal and vocal about one the fear and the insecurity that we have but also how we might you know be able to overcome that by saying you know what that person is wearing a, a shirt that i really like i'm going to go up to that person and tell them that i really like their shirt so modeling how we might be able to interact and sort of navigate those social situations where we feel a bit insecure or intimidated ourselves so i love that Verb, yeah, verbalizing, validating, and I think validating is, you know, an underlying component in everything we do with kids, right? If a kid says they're shy, say, you know what, that's 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 very reasonable considering there are lots of people here, and it's not always easy to sit with a large group of people, especially when you don't know someone. You know, what could make you feel more comfortable? What could help us navigate the situation better? So, sort of validating, setting that open ground and that open space that open platform for communication being able to listen to those kids and sort of you know reinforce those efforts to sort of communicate their concerns with us and sort of brainstorm together about what might be comfortable for them rather than us imposing what might work for us mm-hmm. right well said. um and, and yeah hippa was with us today clinical psychologist at sage clinics she's also a mum of two um, and we're talking about embracing your child's personality and perhaps giving them a bit of a boost if they need it to the text lines we go hippa um a message here saying i'm looking for some advice and or resources to how best to help my 14 year old daughter build resilience and boost her confidence she's amazing but more and more her nerves are getting the better of her and the consequences are having a negative impact it's really heartbreaking and i don't want it to get worse thank you so a concerned parent it sounds like there hippa i mean 14 is a tough old age at Mm -hmm. at, at the best of times it really is but when it's you know nerves that might be coming up in class or in social situations are there any resources any techniques that these parents could be using Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So a good place to start is to to understand what might be the contributing factors, right? Because as you said, the teenage years, they're tough in and of themselves. And so to try to understand, you know, what might be some contributing factors that are impacting um, this this teen's ability to, you know, socialize as she would like or to feel as confident as she would like, because there are multiple factors that could be playing a role. Um 
empowering teens. I think those teenage years are a great time to empower teens to be more involved in decision making and leadership and sort of, you know, having them take more responsibility at home in sort of the decision making processes um, to involve them in leadership. Um, so having having them play that role in the house also gives them that boost of confidence that they need within their peer relationships and peer interactions. So to be able to promote those qualities at home helps create those social or facilitate those opportunities externally. Um, some books that are great for teenagers are The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. Um, I like the sound of you that. have the self... It's, it's a great book. It's You have seven seven uh, habits of highly effective people of highly effective mums of highly effective teens it's it's a good series of books um it's effective you have the uh, the self-esteem workbook for teens you've got a book named you're awesome so these are some books for teens but um I think first and foremost, it's about, you know, sort of understanding what might be the factors, because also, you know, there could be factors such as peer pressure, such as bullying, peer rejection. So trying to understand what also might be there, because it might not just be an issue of confidence, it might be an issue of a lot of other things that are happening as well. So being able to sit down with your teen to have that open and honest conversation to understand what be, might, might what they might be going through, what might be coming up. Um is, I think, essential and at the, at the base of it all. Thank you, Hibber. We touched on this earlier, but we've had a message here about a four-year-old who has a brief shyness with friends and family, then he's his usual funny, chatty self, but in groups, mm-hmm. he can't stand it. Um, swimming, um, he just, he just she says, exists in the water, won't listen to instructions. The kids are now well ahead of him. Dressing up at school for World Book Day, forget it. Football class, um, couldn't stand the group running around and we've decided to stop. Any ideas on how I can help him enjoy group activities is this a shyness or confidence issue should i give it a rest for a while and lastly how do i not show my own frustration and sadness when he doesn't join in like all the others occasionally Mm -hmm. i admit it slips out but i honestly try really hard oh bless you it sounds like you're feeling really really stressed and conflicted about this we've only got a minute hibber but any quick takeaway advice for for this parent indeed anyone else that might be feeling those same kind of frustrations and distress over you know Mm -hmm. what, Mm -hmm. what other kids seem to do effortlessly right right i think i think as you said we've we've touched upon this a bit briefly but one understanding that kids are different but just because someone excels at a certain thing is comfortable doing something doesn't mean every single kid can so i think also being mindful again of our own frustrations versus the kids frustration is essential um helping them build self-esteem is important so to feel good uh, to, to select the kids the things that they feel good about to help them identify their own strength their positive qualities fostering a more positive self-perception might help them especially if it, this is more of like a group situation thing so they might be feeling less confident so helping them focus on their strengths on that growth pers- growth perspective that improvement the progress rather than the outcome mm-hmm. and then helping them identify interests and hobbies if they're not if they're not enjoying soccer let's find something else that they might be better at. Maybe they like acting. So also encouraging encouraging them to explore and pursue their interests based on what their personalities are like and what their characters are like, I think helps to create that base for success rather than for children to feel, you know, that they're struggling and they're really doing it for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. to make a parent happy, to, you know, just be yeah. part of a crowd versus feeling good about themselves. I think that's actually a really good point about that having that strength of character and, and self, you know, 
awareness in a child of going, this isn't for me. And, you know, absolutely. And, 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 and you know, especially as we get into those teen years and especially with girls, we want them, want our kids to know their own minds, to be able to say no, to have those boundaries in place and to say, do you know what? Great for you. Not for me. Exactly. Heba, thank exactly. you so, so much. I really value thank your time you, today. Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. That's what we're talking about today. One of my most beloved, m- memorable teachers in my life, and it's someone I think about actually an awful lot to this day, was my music teacher, Mr. Morell. He was... He was amazing. had the had the the skills to make even you know the shyest, least confident, and dare I say it, unmusical kid feel valued and seen and important in the school. He's the man that encouraged my brother at just nine years old to get behind a drum kit, and my brother's new single came out two days ago and was paid on BBC Radio One. So it is. It's incredible, to be honest, when we think about the power that a teacher has. And I think music is such an important one to touch on, which is why we're celebrating music, drama, performance in education this afternoon. Um, Darren Gale is with us in the, uh, I was saying, the studio. I wish you were in the studio, Mr. Gale. You're on Teams. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me back, Helen. You'll be sick of me. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Um, I love this topic because... We think about academics and we think about, you know, your maths and your STEM and your English. But I think many people's most fondest memories are about exactly that music, drama, performance, that sense of community. And I wondered if you could perhaps could speak from an educator's point of view about the importance of those subjects, both academically, but also socially, if you don't mind. For me, the creative and performing arts and I'm not a creative and performing arts teacher my background is modern foreign languages but you're speaking to somebody that's a great advocate for the arts because they are the golden thread they're the glue in school and I I think again you know I spoke last week about changing a narrative I think we should stop talking about academic subjects and non-academic subjects music art drama dance they're academic subjects you know, there, there's maths, there's literacy, there's all kinds of skills in music, drama and art. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they really are the golden thread. They're the glue of school. They really help you create that culture uh, and the ethos within a school. They're really powerful subjects. And I'm a great fan. I don't know if you're a fan of Sir Ken Robinson, God rest his soul, that, you know, he was a great advocate for the creative arts. And I can always remember one quote that he said is that what we do in education, that children are born creative, they're born exploratory. You know, they're born with all of their senses. But what we've been doing in school is educating the arts and creativity out of children because we keep talking about academic subjects. Mm -hmm. I think that does a massive disservice to those subjects. It makes a lot of people think that they are, you know, lesser important. Whereas actually, as you say, what you can learn from them is not just about how to read music or how to perform on a stage, but you can learn an awful lot about yourself in those subjects, which is just as crucial in that school environment. Mm -hmm. Um, What about that idea of creativity, self-expression? What does that look like at, at Horizon International? Well, we are a great lover of the arts. We're an advocate of the arts. We have an all new creative and performing arts suite of of classrooms and learning environments. We really value the arts for what they bring to educating the whole child, not not just in terms of knowledge and content, but also in terms of those skills 
the development of teamwork and self-confidence mm. and listening and presentation and being able to talk confidently, projecting your voice, holding a room. But also at the same time as well, you know, the children learn skills of perseverance and sticking with it and doing things for the greater good of the team. Absolutely. I think I've seen this in my own kids when they did a drama camp um, over the summer. Mm. And day one, they were like... Uh, we're not going to do the showcase at the end, Mum. We're too, we're too frightened. And I was like, "That's your decision. You know, that's 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 fine. I'm happy to come to it if you want to do it." Yeah. By day four, you are coming tomorrow because we've been practicing this, and it, yeah. it was it's it's really special. Actually, we, we were mm. we were talking earlier with um, with Hibber, clinical psychologist, about children finding their way, um, and we are unfortunately we all kind of get pigeonholed quite early and sometimes it just it's just a case of building that confidence building that trust with a teacher building that trust mm. with your fellow classmates to feel safe to stand up in front of somebody or to feel safe enough to say this isn't for me but you do that I'd like to do I'd like to do something else how have you seen um participation in you know school musicals or drama performance debate help with children's confidence and communication are there any specific examples that come to mind mr girl yeah i mean i spoke last week didn't i about failure and vulnerability and actually the creative and the performing arts force you to be vulnerable mm -hmm. you know that whole standing on stage and people observing me but what you know like your children what children do is they realize it's not about them they can hide behind the performance or the character and also at the same time, it's not about taking prominent spotlight roles. You know, the music tech behind the scenes, the advertising, the, the props, the costumes, the makeup. There's so many different roles that one can take within the creative and performing arts with actually not having to participate in the lead roles mm -hmm. or being the lead performer. It's really interesting as well to think about what music does to our to our brains and, and to our bodies, especially when we look at child development. Um, and it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm going to play you um, a clip, actually, from uh, Michael Spitzer talking about exactly this, the power of music. What makes human music so distinctive is our link between sound and motion, which is due to the connections in the human brain between the motor regions controlling our motion and the regions controlling hearing and, and sound, the auditory cortex. The biggest draw to mental health is loneliness. Music can bring people together. Music lowers stress by reducing cortisol. It gives you pleasure, makes you happy by flooding the brain with neurotransmitters like dopamine. Music is an excellent way of tagging memories, remembering the past, expressing your deepest emotions and your identity, which can't be captured by language. All these things increase your mental health and ultimately music becomes a mode of mindfulness, of contemplation. So when you're listening to music, it's a kind of mental time travel. When you're absorbed in a work, you're traveling back through layer upon layer of your brain, almost biologically, which is why I call music a sort of umbilical cord back to mother nature. I love that. Michael Spitzer talking in the power of music. Isn't it fantastic? And he's talking about there being yeah. like tagging in memories. And I remember doing this when I was revising for my A-levels, listening to the same album. And it was Macy Gray's album. I'm aging myself now. Um, because I knew that if I heard it on the way to that exam, it would somehow bring back me sitting at my desk. But 
I think that's it's just it's just so so powerful. Uh, delighted to have the principal of Horizon International School, Darren Gale, as we talk about the importance of music, drama, and performance. Um, so tell us a little bit about what that looks like at the school in terms of performances that you have, what age groups can take part, and you know some of these amazing things you might see, you know, on the school field or around school. How are kids enjoying the performing arts at your place? Oh, they they love it and they look forward to every opportunity that they can get. We've made a real concerted effort, especially with the support of Cognita, to invest in facilities that bring the curriculum to life. We offer dance, drama, musical theatre, textiles, photography, clay, food technology, you know, the full remit and uh, peripatetic music instrumental lessons and as well as music technology. What we have, what we have done as a school is that we've sort of graded opportunities for students to experience performance within a small setting. They might be quite nervous and anxious. We offer Let's Performs. We also offer a programme and scholarships, the Evolve sessions for our star performers, those that are confident in taking their grade examinations, as well as the curriculum offering GCSE dance, GCSE and A-level textiles and drama. So from curriculum to extracurricular, as well as the opportunities for those able, gifted and talented, mm-hmm. a multi-layered approach to the performing arts, as well as being mindful that we've got to grow our next generation of students as well. So the introduction, as I've already said, of the Let's Performs, the sort of half-termly showcases, small intimate gatherings so that children can find their confidence. I love um, I love it when our school puts on its kind of annual show because you see kids that you might recognise their faces from drop off and pick up and you see them on stage and they become celebrities in the school especially with my little ones they go that's the boy that you know played Maui or that's the girl that was Moana and you know it's this idea of having role models I guess with it within the school especially amongst those younger ones I want to come back if you wouldn't mind to those children that do show special promise and how you do you know foster that encourage that to develop their potential what can that look like and are there any limits well no you there, there are no limits the whole purpose of the school is is to say right pun, i use the term punching through the glass ceiling we refer to stage not age limitless learning so it's about making sure that we're keeping up to speed with the students and making sure as a school we're able to give students what they need whether that's a scholarship whether that's outreach whether that's internships whether that's the evolve sessions that i mentioned that take place monthly a range of different activities where we invite business and industry in it's making sure that we've got extracurricular activities that are tailored to their needs Mm -hmm. and all students that show great promise in the creative and performing arts have a mentor uh, who is able to meet with them. Mr Tate meets with our creative and performing arts scholars to make sure that we're not only contributing to them but also at the same time they're contributing back to the school and giving back to the school. I've got a little little message from somebody Mr Gale we've had Ellie get in touch sending a video via a parent because she seems very young to have her own phone. This is Horizon mm-hmm. International student Ellie. I'm Ellie, and so the, I'm going to Horizon International School, and I think Mr. Girl's 100% right. He is my principal, and I love, it's so important to me, uh, music is what how I live, how I live. And I just finished choir, and it 
it'll always make me happy music. When I sing, when I dance, when I like anything linked to music or when I'm dancing, it makes me happy. Oh, I can see you glowing with pride there, Mr. Gill. <laughs> um, but I also, I also wanted to ask you about the parental role as well. And as I said earlier, my brother's a musician and that was a big leap of faith for my parents. I mean, first of all, the drums, that was no that was no small feat uh, to welcome those into the home. And then they had years of driving and putting them in the back of the car and going to, you know, various venues around rural Northumberland. And now he's a rock star. But mm. I think it takes a bit, a, bit of a, a bit of a shift often to go, OK, this is something that perhaps I could see my child excelling in outside of school. So I wonder yeah. if we could speak to a couple of things. One is that idea of it being a profession, but also the role of parents, the community to foster that love of music, drama, performance outside of the classroom as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hugely important as adults. We we have a huge role in to play the narrative that we put behind the creative and performing arts and the value we give it. I understand it from a parent's point of view. You want the best for your child. They've got to be competitive. They've got to be ambitious. You've got to think about the careers. Parents are paying for education. They want value for money. They want to make sure that they can read and that they can write and they're going to access those top universities and be successful. But for some children, it's the right path. And and then we also have the pressures from society that says, you know, you know, people won't make it in the in the industry of music and that there's more failed musicians and that it's too difficult to be an actor. And, that you know, there's too many applications for people to really make a go of it in dance. Mm -hmm. But some children need that outlet of the arts in order for them to be the best versions of themselves. It might not be a career, but it helps. I heard you say about it helps with their mental health. It gives them confidence. Let children explore. Let them find their way with the arts. And it might be that after grade six, they put the violin down. But think about all of those enriching activities they've got through dance and through music and through that exploration of art. Rather than thinking it about a destination, use it to complement the journey. Life's difficult enough as it is. You know, if it brings them joy, let them go for it. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I recently joined the parent teacher choir at my children's Wonderful. school. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was the one that suggested it to the head of music for purely selfish reasons. And it has become a genuine highlight of my week. There's something so wonderful about singing together. There's something about watching kids on stage who have been, you know, trying so hard to learn their actions, mm. to, to be together. Mm. And then the pride when they hear their voices coming together and understanding that they're they're in it together. Um, so and the round of applause exactly. at the end and the cheers from the crowd. It's just, like I said, it's the golden thread. It's the glue. I always remember, you know, the performances and the productions that I did at school. Me too. You know, you, you, you never forget them. They're powerful. When I, I'm driving to work and I'm feeling exhausted and I'm thinking, right, come on, I've got to find some energy reserves. I whack on a song that gets me in the groove. Music can dictate your mood. You know, it can. And as we heard earlier from Michael Spitzer, it's got that power to make you feel less alone. I know as a teenager, there yeah. were an awful lot of songs where the lyrics I was like, wow, I feel like this has been written just for me and what I'm experiencing. And that 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 sense of, yeah, I'm all, I'm all right. I'm all right. Mr. Gale, I'm mm. going to let you get back. Thank you so much for your time. Again, really appreciate it. Thank and you wonderful for inviting to me, Helen. Great to hear the passion coming through there at Horizon International School. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. 
Um, joining us, um, we've got a music teacher. I've just been saying how much I adored my music teacher. Veronica Cruz is at RPS. Um, thank you so much for being with us, Ms. Cruz. How are you? I am good, thank you. And I'm very pleased to be here. I, I can just tell how much you love your job. Um, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to become a music teacher and maybe a little bit about your own musical skills. What instruments do you play? What do you love about music? Yeah, okay. I remember when I was young, I really loved performing in front of my uh, grandparents. And I used our sofa to be my stage and a microphone <laughs> as my, as my uh, sorry, uh, my re- a remote as my microphone. And because of that, when I grow up and I think... I think I have a talent for myself. So I went to um, a music education field when I was in the university and I played piano for a bit. I am, but I am classically trained uh, singer. Wow. I won't ask you to sing as much as I want you to. I'm <laughs> sure you're not warmed up properly. Um, tell us a little bit about your music curriculum. We were talking earlier to Mr. Gale about, you know, developing some of those students that are, you know, really, you know, gifted and talented. But what about all abilities? How do you try to include all children in music? Um, I uh, To ensure inclusivity in the music curriculum, uh, strategies can include in, um, instruments for exploration, offering differentiated instruction. Um, we also listen to different kind of musical styles and genres and encouraging collaboration among students with varying abilities. Because I believe collaborative learning, pairing more experienced musicians with beginners, mm-hmm. fosters a sense of inclusion and teamwork. What other benefits do you see students gaining from participating in, you know, performances, ensembles, even, you know, stepping up to for their very own solo? Yeah, Yeah, um, I think I have been handling our school choir for three years now. And the moment I start teaching the choir from the very beginning until now, I see their growth. So choir promotes even ensembles or musical productions, it promotes harmony both in music and among students. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, if you are in a choir, it enhances vocal abilities. So I guess overall, these experiences foster uh, discipline, communication and creativity. Yeah. And you know, building their self-confidence and self-expression as well. We've just had a beautiful message on the text line, Bronca, saying, my 10-year-old son has autism and is not very verbal. He also has cerebral palsy and is somewhat limited with mobility, but he loves music, instruments and orchestras. Always has, it's his happy place. For a wee man with multiple needs, I was shocked to see him sit still for a full 30 minutes when I took him to see an orchestra at Expo. It became a staple activity for us every week. Fast forward a few years and his two siblings were in the school musical. He showed a massive desire to join them. The school made several accommodations. They had him in the choir. He learned every word, sung his little heart out. And after the show, as I was putting him to bed, he was a little teary. When I asked him what was wrong, he said, I am so proud of me. Music literally has the power to change lives. All the goosebumps in the studio here. Um, that, that is, yep. That is really true because I have an experience with that because I have a student who's obviously in a spectrum and I wanted to know what kind or what type of music she wanted to do and never did I know that she can sing so well. She even um, joined my extracurricular activity. Every single week she's singing one song in front of her classmates, in front of her schoolmates and she's not usually like that during music classes Mm -hmm. but during our ECA she performs. It's like a magic. 
Oh, I love this. I've also had messages from grown up saying, I'm learning ukulele. I'm fascinated That's- by learning every chord. I can almost feel my neurons getting new connections. Hand movements and rhythms, my mind are becoming more organic. It's really amazing. Anika, teach me your ways. I've tried twice to learn the guitar as, as an adult and I just get really sore fingers and give up. <laughs> um, I'm, I, w- I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what you can do with students. And I'm not, I really hate this idea of kind of pigeonholing and saying that some children are music musical or un you know untalented and you know haven't got a natural propensity to it mm-hmm. but for those who might struggle with you know finding rhythm of identifying pitch um what are some of the things that you do in the classroom and maybe that parents can do out of it to still foster a love of learning even if they're not necessarily going to be standing up and doing a solo well uh, the first thing that i uh, i'm trying to do with them is to bond with them and letting them know or i will ask them what kind of instruments they like or do they love singing? Do they love performing? Do they love just even listening? So I think when a student is very reluctant in terms of performance, I don't usually force them because it may lead to frustration. Mm-hmm. So what I do is, what I did is I am partnering this student to another child who can be a, maybe a, a close friend and they can both do uh, music together. With, in terms of that child, performing in front of the class with a partner, I think the only thing that that it works really well is giving them a positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Because with these kind of positive reinforcement, it motivates them to be more confident, Mm -hmm. to to expose them in um, other stuff like listening to music and playing other instruments. Um, a message here from Amanda saying, I encouraged my son, not pushed him into music. He started guitar lessons at seven. His teacher told me um, he was gifted and I should send him to a specialist school outside of the UAE. No way. Um, I supported oh. him with music lessons and arts classes here. And he has now got a scholarship to Berklee College of Music. Incredible. Wow. wow. Well done wow. to Luke yeah, and Amanda. Amazing. That's where my brother studied. Um, and he came back with just the most amazing experiences. But whether you are performing at a high level, whether you just want to be with your friends in a class and work on something mm-hmm. together is... Um, it's just it's just so, so special. So what about, what about what we can do as parents? I mean, I'm all for one of blasting songs out on the radio. And I took the kids to the Taylor Swift concert um, screening on, at, uh, at Roxy Cinemas the other night and kind of weaving it into our lives. But what else do you suggest, I guess, to help them maybe clue into some other skills or mm-hmm. just really enjoy it? I think uh, the best thing is to expose them to various musical styles and even encourage them to attend concerts, not even inside the school, even outside school. We have lots of very good uh, musical plays and also engage them in music-related extracurricular activities or even play music at home. Simple playing their favorite song can, you know, let them appreciate that uh, music. One of my fondest memories when I was really little, so probably six or seven, was driving with my my mum um, to school and her putting on the radio and her teaching me how to identify the beat in a song by tapping on the gear stick in the car. And I remember, I remember where we were on the way to school. Um, and I think it's just, 
it's just a lovely opportunity to enjoy music as a family. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Veronica. Really, really appreciate it. Um, next time I'm going to have you singing. So warm up those vocal cords, OK? <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> You're Thank a star. You so much. Veronica Cruz, music teacher at Ranchers Primary School. Um, it's so lovely to hear from so many of you on this topic. And um, we heard little Ellie talking earlier um, about how much she loves performing. And we've had a message from parent here saying, Mr. Gale is such an amazing head teacher. You should see him in the mornings. He gets all the kids out of the parents' car, knows the kids' home language, talks them in it, knows all their names. He's a one in a million and a very special individual indeed. And Ellie's response really shows it. All about celebrating education, the educators, the students, and yes, the parents as well here on Eye on Education.